Hello and welcome to the Chase Family Church podcast. Today we have Ken Swan speaking on light and glory in the face of Christ. I feel that already some of the things that are on my heart have started to come out. Have you noticed that Martin's growing a beard? Martin's growing old and grey. His whiskers get in Lizzie's way. And when she chews them in her sleep, she dreams she's eating shredded wheat. I'd like to bring a bit of culture to these things. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It will be coming up on the screen as well. I'm going to read a couple of verses now, but we're going to go through a, a bit more as we go on. 2 Corinthians 4. And we'll start in verse 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. I think we can shut the doors or... Okay. When things don't go as we expect them, let there be light. Because light brings grace brings faith, brings power, brings hope, brings understanding. Now there's a parallel here in this scripture and a contrast also between two things. The first one is creation light. When God said, let there be light, if you go back into the very beginning in Genesis, in chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, the earth was formless and void and Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. So we just read it in this passage here that God spoke creation light. Let there be light. And it, it was a time when God, as it were, turned on the light on the... A uh, whole of creation that illuminated everything in this world. Yet there's another light that's spoken of in this chapter. And the parallel, parallel is that uh, is Genesis, so that all mankind could see God's creation, the wonders of it all. That's what happened when he said, let there be light. The contrast is that not all men see the light of revelation that God brings to our hearts and our minds our soul, our spirit, our understanding and perception, described as our hearts here by Paul, with the knowledge of the glory of God seen in the face of Christ. So there's two lights. There's the light that illuminates the whole world, but there's this other light of revelation that God wants to bring. It's this revelation that sets us free from sin and death, the curse of sin and death, transforms us, into those who share the wonder of what Jesus did on the cross. 
as the answer to man's need. Now, God made himself known in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says that God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the words of his power. There's a fascinating Bible study that I've done. I've shared it here before about image. And this is the one place that this word is used, the exact representation of the Father is the word image. And it's a, a slightly different word to the other image that we, we look at. But did you notice that it says there, he's the radiance of his glory. The exact representation of the Father, his nature and everything. And the writer starts this statement saying, he's the radiance of his glory. There's the light against, again. The light that comes, that illuminates our hearts. It's the light that gives us spiritual vision. And it gives spiritual vision to the blind of this world who have a willingness to seek until they find. Knock until it's opened and ask to receive. Now those that don't do those things, the light has shone, but the very truth of the gospel eludes them. They're blinded by the God of this world. It says, uh, I'm back in Corinthians again. It says that the God of this world has blinded their eyes by his tricks. And it's as if he's put a veil, he says. Not over their eyes, but over their minds. So that they can't believe. What do they miss? The light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what they miss, the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There are those who will not see because they will not see. And I say that again, there are those who will not see because they will not see. You know, Jesus was described by John in John chapter 1 as light coming into the world. I'll read it to you. I can't complain about not hearing pages turn these days because we keep putting it up there. There was the true light. Well, let's go back a bit. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. You know, John the Baptist. Came out of the wilderness wearing a rough coat, um, a locust leg sticking out of his beard. So that all might believe through... Sorry, let's go back. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but the will of God. He came to enlighten every man, all those that would receive him and give them the chance to become the children of God. Jesus had glory, you know, when he was on this earth. He had glory when he turned the water into wine. His glory was manifested as he healed the sick. Uh, his glory was manifested in all kinds of ways for those that had eyes to see it. Even when he was raised from the, the dead, he had a resurrection body that was a glorified body that was different to anything else that we'd had. When the Apostle Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, I love that story, it's one of my favourites. Here he is trotting along on his donkey or whatever happens and he is knocked off by the glory of God and he can hear this voice. This voice says, you know, why are you sort of uh, complaining? Why are you doing the things you're doing, Paul or Saul as he was then? And he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? And then comes that moment of absolute terror and shock to Paul. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. <clears throat> if you're in the world and you bump into someone who says, I'm a big man and you're persecuting me, you think, hello, I'm in for a thumping. <laughs> but Paul here, he, he spent his last few months, maybe longer than that, persecuting Christians and here he is face to face with the, the voice that says to him, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Now, the fact that Paul had this encounter, he was not like the other disciples. He hadn't been like Matthew and uh, Mark and Luke, John and the, all the other disciples there, seeing the glory of God manifested bit by bit, learning about this, this is the glory of God. He just had this vision there and then of Jesus the risen, exalted Jesus at the right hand of the Father, who had all power and all authority given to him. So no wonder his gospel is always based on that. He doesn't tend to go back into saying, well, I remember Jesus when he did this or that, because he didn't. He's, he had to say, I had my encounter with Jesus, and that's the Jesus I know and I see, full of light. Seated at the Father's right hand, Jesus glorified. Back in 2 Corinthians, in verse 7, it says that this truth is described as a treasure. And surprisingly, it says that we have this treasure in us, although we're fallible. He puts it like this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, why? So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. The power's got to come from God through us. And it seems to me the more you go on, the more you think, I can't do it. It's got to be God who does it. If he doesn't do it, I can't do it. When I was young, I, I thought I could do all kinds of things. But the more I go on, the more I think, I can't do any of those things. God, unless you do them, they won't happen. But the glorious thing is we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in us, that the power might be seen to come from God. I'd like to run through this chapter just briefly, P 
pick out a few verses. So if you go right back to the beginning. This is the practical outworking. You know, I love the scripture because there are truths that are wonderful truths and you could spend your life just mulling over these truths and <coughs> embracing them and thinking, oh, this is wonderful. But the Bible is always very practical. It tells you what to do with these truths, how to put it into action. And that's what we're going to look at here. So we need to know that. Paul set the church up in Corinth, just to give a little background. He came there and he preached and he stayed there for 18 months or more. And he set it up at great cost. He nurtured it, he sustained it. But in his absence, when he moved on, there were certain moral problems that, that arose that he addressed in the first letter to the Corinthians. This upset some people. They didn't like what he had to say and they didn't like the idea that he was telling them what to do. So in this second letter, he's trying to uh, redress some of those things. Now, there are some different groups. Some people saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of... You know, that always happens in groups. Um, so his second letter seems to be encouraging them to return to the truth and kick out false teachers. This is practical Christianity. Okay, so let's start with verse 1. Good place to start. Therefore, when you see a therefore, that's right. Therefore, since we have this ministry, he's been talking about his ministry before um, here. Since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. I want to encourage you, show mercy as often as you can. Show mercy to people. It encourages people. And when you've received mercy, you can give mercy. Something happens to you. If someone forgives you or is merciful to you in a situation, then it enables you to do it back. And it, it snowballs. We need lots of mercy in the church because we're a right rabble. Um, and sometimes we get things wrong. Sometimes we say things that offend people. We don't mean to, but sometimes it happens. So... Anyway, receive mercy and give mercy. So that's just all I want to say about that verse. In verse 2, let's go on. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adultering, adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. When it says we manifest truth, it means it's seen. It's not just academic, it's real. So we manifest, we show forth uh, the truth that we're living by. And we're living it out. Do you live out the truth? Because that's manifesting it. It's seen. That's what the word manifest means, seen. I used to be involved in shipping things around the world. And a, a ship would have something called the manifest. And it showed what was actually in the holds what was actually there. So when the boat docked, they could open up the hold and take out whatever the, the product was in there. And sometimes we need to live so that we can unpack what's inside us in a way that can be seen. It's made manifest. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel 
of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I've already talked about that a little bit, that those who won't see, won't see. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. We're not saying to people, follow me. We're not marching down the street saying, follow me. We're saying, follow Jesus. But we have to live out our words and be servants so that they can say, these people have met with Jesus and are doing this. I want to meet with Jesus. That's what, what he's saying there. And servanthood is very important. We're all servants. Some people would use the word slaves there. They're often they're interchangeable, but we're servants of Christ. So we can say to people, you're not following me, but you're following Jesus. But in some ways, people are following you because you know Jesus. So our lives have got to be right. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, that refers back to Genesis. He's referring back to Genesis that I read earlier. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who shone in our hearts to give the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's a lovely phrase, I love that. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. But we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Let's have a little look at some of that. I've already mentioned that in our weakness we're strong. That's what the scripture says. In your weakness you'll be strong because God works through weak people. Let me tell you that the devil cannot win. If he thinks that uh, by afflicting you and causing problems that he will win, he won't because all it does is just it strengthens us. It does something in us and we stand. Um, I've read various stories of people being in prison before now for their faith and sometimes, you know, prison warders and guards are terrified of the fact that they are not able to terrify the Christians because the Christians say, what can you do to me? What can you do? And that rebounds back on them. The fear that they'd like to put on you actually rebounds back onto them. That's something that happens. The devil can't win. But let me ask you, are you afflicted? Well, the, this word here means suffering due to pressure of circumstances or antagonism of a person. So maybe you work with someone who's antagonistic towards you, very difficult towards you. Well, that would come under the, the phrase afflicted. Or maybe you've got pressure of circumstances. You never intended the things to happen, but they've happened. And he says, are you afflicted? It means you're not crushed. That's what he says. You're not crushed in a corner where you can't retaliate. That's not the case. We're afflicted, but we're not crushed. God will give you elbow room to come out of this, okay? Perplexed. You perplexed? I'm often perplexed. <laughs> you know, it means literally put out. 
Now that's, yes, am I ever put out? Yes, I am put out. But it means put out, not put out a lot, not despairing. You don't despair in the situation. You're perplexed, you don't understand it. I've always found that you have to give God time. Sometimes we're perplexed about what's going on. You say, Lord, give me patience, but hurry. <laughs> and when we're in those positions, you know, God seems to take his time, but he reveals things eventually. Everything will come to light in the end. Everything will come to light. I don't know why you're perplexed about the situation you're in, but God knows and it'll get revealed. But we're not despairing. There's no despairing in this. Persecuted. Well, Paul could talk about this. Pursued from city to city, stoned. Uh, you know, you, you look at this man's life, it's incredible. But you know, the answer to being perse persecuted is that to realise that we're not forsaken. That God has been here before. Jesus has been here before. We're not forsaken. One of the most important scriptures I know is in Hebrews 13 that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it comes down, the writer to the Hebrews is thinking back also to Israel where God said exactly that to Israel. I'll never leave you or forsake you. They went through all kinds of things, some their own faults, some because of enemies within and without. But whatever it was, God said, I will never forsake you. And that's what he says to us. I'll never leave you. Struck down. Well, in Acts 14, it's quite a little miracle. Go. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but Acts, let's read it. Acts 14, verse 19, I think we are. That's right. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. That's pretty, you know, pretty rough. They thought he was dead. When people say that they threw stones, they don't mean a pebble like this. Often they meant rocks, big things that they chucked. And they perceived that he was dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. So we need the disciples to gather around. Sometimes when some people are being stoned, in one way or another, we don't get stoning in this country, but we need to gather around. And something happened there when the disciples gathered around and the power of God came. Maybe they were all full of faith. Maybe there was one person full of faith. Whatever it was, something happened that raised this man up from the dead. We can raise people from the dead by the power of God through us. It's not you and me, but it's God doing it. But they gathered round, and sometimes there's a place for us to say, I've got to gather round this person. All right, that's got to happen. Raised up by God, not destroyed. Not destroyed. Verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our body. Being prepared to die for Jesus makes us willing to live for Jesus. Okay? Being prepared to die for Jesus makes us willing to live for Jesus. Verse 11 and 12. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Some of the things that happen to you, God will turn around to bless the church. You may think, boy, I don't want to go through this. But just bear in mind that God may take that and use that to bless the church and encourage the church. Verse 13 gives you the, the answer. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. You know, I've always said that faith is the answer. It's the key to the spiritual world. It's the key, faith. Opening doors, it opens doors in a way that nothing else can. Verse 14, knowing that he who has raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Do you need a resurrection in your life over something? Circumstances, one of these things we talked about. You know the answer? Jesus. Why? Because he's already been resurrected. He knows all about it. He knows how to bring the resurrection in. Sometimes we need the resurrection. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Praise the Lord. When you get older, uh, let me tell you that your outer man can't do everything that it used to do. Let's put it like that. But your inner man can grow and grow and grow. And that's a great source of hope for me. Take heart. There's things that you can't do now because your outer man is failing. It may be a temporary thing. Maybe you've got a bad foot, for instance. You, you can't walk and do the things. But your inner man is growing. Your feet are getting bigger inside. You need new spiritual shoes soon to walk in those things. But take heart because God is renewing us. How often? Daily. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed by day, day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. You could dwell in that for hours, wouldn't you? While we look not at the things which are seen, but of the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, faith looks beyond the immediate, the things here and now, and it fixes its eyes on the eternal. You know, if you want to see, you, there's a dot on the horizon. It's, you know, we've got pretty amazing eyes. You know, we can see 20-odd miles to something 20 miles away. And that's, that's incredible. When you think about it, there's a dot on the horizon. What you do is you screw your eyes up and you concentrate on that dot. You fix your eyes on it. And, you know, sometimes if you're in a difficult situation, something's going wrong, fix your eyes on eternity. And you'll see there that somewhere there's something that encourages you. And encourages you to go on. Let's just sum up. Do you feel this way? Are you going through difficult times at the moment? Let the light in. That's what it says. The light in the face and the glory of 
Jesus Christ in his face. Let that light in. If you let the light in, it well, bring it to Christ. That's how you do it in practical terms. Bring it to Christ. If you've got a need, get on your knees and say, Lord, here's my need. Here's the need. You know the situation. Now, God may answer you there and then. He may say, I'm bringing out things uh, that will bless you later. He may say, I'm growing you inside through these things. I don't know. He may say, rebuke the devil and he'll flee. You need discernment in these things. As we recognize Jesus as being the image of God in entirety, you want to know how God feels about something? Look at Jesus. How did he react? How does Jesus, or how does, what does God think of a woman caught in adultery? Look at Jesus. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. What do you, you want to know how, what God thinks about some situation in your life? Look at Jesus. How would he have dealt with it? How did he deal with it? A woman passes by with her son on a bier. They're carrying it. He's died. And Jesus, out of sheer compassion, reaches out, touches it, and brings back to life the son. Why did he do it? Because he loves it. Because he loves it. You know, maybe the, the Lord wants to stretch out his hand and touch you and bring life out of the death situation you're in. Let me tell you a short story. There's a little boy. I heard this a long time ago from the dad in this situation. There's a young boy and he was in bed at night and it was dark and for some reason he wanted his parents. You know, we've all had that just as we're going off a little voice. And he went in, the dad went in and to get the boy to go to sleep, he laid down on the bed with him. And the little boy said, are you there, Daddy? Because he couldn't see. And he said, yes. Then he said, is your face towards me? And the dad said, yes. And I want to tell you this, that whatever situation you're in, God's face is towards you. It may be dark. You may not be able to see. You may be thinking, well, how did I get here? But God's lying there with you and his face is towards you. Let's just pray, shall we? Take a moment and just say to the Lord, Lord, you, you've spoken to my heart today and I want to respond in whatever way is appropriate. We've already had some response. And it seemed to me that all the choruses and everything seemed to be leading up to this same thing that I'm talking about. I just want to say that God's face is towards you. Can't see it? Doesn't matter. His face is towards you. Father, we come to you and ask that you'll speak to us just in the silence for a moment. Speak into our hearts that word that we need to hear because we live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. We come alive when you speak to us. Lord, help us. Let God speak to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You may be going through a wonderful time in your life. None of this applies to you. Well, the truths apply to you, but you're not experiencing difficulties. Oh, praise the Lord for that. That's wonderful. 
but maybe you're suffering something. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name. Thank you, Lord. Let him just minister to you. Let him just say, I'm here in the darkness and my face is towards you. Thank you, Lord. And if the Lord's saying something to you, asking you to do something, the answer is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You do it. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace to us, that your face is always towards us. And when we see the face, it's the face of Jesus Christ. And the great glory and light of God comes shining from his face to us, not only in redemption, but in dealing with us, Lord, and our circumstances and our situations. Let the light in, Lord, we pray. Let the light come flooding in. We acknowledge you as Lord. Let the light come, Lord. And Lord, we offer our hearts to you, our hearts affection. We love you, Lord, and we're so grateful to you. But sometimes it's hard. You know what happens in the world. But Lord, we pray for that strength that comes out of our weakness, that your spirit would work through us that this earthen vessel would become less and the power of God become more. Jesus seen in us. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. As before, if anyone wants prayer, then feel free to come out. We'll pray for you. But respond to the Lord anyway but we're going to worship the Lord he deserves worship and praise his face was marred and beaten but now it shines with the glory of God for us <laughs>